Hey, well, I'm Matt, and uh, I am uh, one of the pastors here. As you can see, things are set up a little bit different, and you'll uh, see why in just a moment. Um, but I am, uh, I, I love the Dollar Club, and just, it was cool that I had the privilege of sitting down and presenting the check this week uh, to James Carter, and just to, to bless him on behalf of all of us. And I love, thank you, prop lady. Woo, let's give her a hand. There we go. Um. But I, I just love the fact that we can kind of pool our money and bless somebody in the community. And I was thinking about that this, really just this morning. And like every Sunday when you give, we are pooling our money and we are a blessing in some way. Whether it's you know, providing lights on a stage or the dollar club or sending middle school kids to the Emerge Camp this past week. But every time we, we do that, we, we give, we're pooling our money to be a blessing to other folks. And I just, I love that about our church, about River Ridge Church. So I um, want to ask you a question this morning. What is it that causes the rise and fall of things, uh, of people, right? Because we, we see this in a lot of different areas, a lot of different places. We will see a, an athlete kind of rise to stardom and then quickly fall or fade out. Or we see it with a, a business, it goes really, really well, it rises, it's amazing, and then something happens and it, and it fades out. Or you can even see it in a marriage. A marriage starts out just unbelievably awesome and great, and then something happens and it fades out, and it fizzles very quickly. And we can see this in lots of different areas, in different places of things that have a very quick rise and then a very quick demise. And so I want to wrestle with that question this morning, not so much in terms of these examples that I gave, but when it comes to our faith in God. Like, what is it that causes a rise to kind of greatness with God, being in in the presence of God's greatness and doing great things for God? Uh, But then sometimes people maintain and continue great things, but then other times there's this kind of demise, this this kind of fleeting out, this fizzling out. And, And what is the difference? Why does that happen in some people from time to time. So this morning, uh, we are going to be in the book of Judges, and if you've been here the last number of weeks, uh, we are going through the book of Judges, hopefully reading it on your own. Uh, but this morning, we come to a judge whose name is Gideon. And Gideon's uh, story covers three chapters of the book of Judges. And so as I was praying about this week, I was thinking about, like, how do we handle Gideon. I thought maybe there's a, there's a bunch of stories, maybe just zero in on one or maybe two stories about Gideon's life. Uh, I thought maybe that would be an option, but decided not to go there. I thought there was part of me that was like, maybe we should extend this series by three or four weeks to include a bunch of Gideon's stories. Or I thought maybe we could just have a four-hour sermon this morning. Didn't think that would go over real well. Um, and so this is where the Lord led me, uh, for better or for worse is what we're going to do is we're going to do kind of a flyover of the entirety of Gideon's life, kind of a 30,000-foot view, and look at his life from beginning to end. And as we do this, I think what we're going to see, and I'm going to kind of tell the story, but what we're going to be able to do is as we look at the whole of Gideon's life, we're going to see some things about him and his character and his rise and fall that we wouldn't get if we looked at one story specifically. And you can go deep into one story or a bunch of these different stories, but we're going to have this kind of overall deal. And so what I'm going to do, and you can kind of see it uh, lined up here, and hopefully you guys who are watching online can see it lined up here as well. Uh, But there are seven scenes 
in Gideon's life, which we're going to talk about, plus a prelude and an epilogue. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell each of these stories, each of these scenes. Um, I'm not actually going to read from the Bible. I'm going to kind of tell it and kind of bring it to life. You are more than willing to read along with me. You're more than willing to fact check me later and tell me what details I've missed or which ones I've gotten wrong. That would be fine as well. Hopefully I'll get the details right. Um, but I'm not going to cover every detail because these stories are so rich. So that's where we're going. You guys ready? All right, let's pray. Okay, I got to clap. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thanks so much uh, for this morning. And uh, Lord, as we dive into the life of Gideon, uh, I am just excited to unpack his life and share his life. And I pray, God, that you would uh, just speak to us this morning. There's going to be a myriad of things. And Lord, would you put the right things on our hearts that you want us to learn and to take away from today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Prelude, titled, Here We Go Again. As we have seen in the book of Judges, uh, there's a cycle that happens. And what happens in this cycle is that uh, the, basically the people sin, uh, and, then they, and then somebody conquers them, and then the people cry out, God raises up a judge, and then there's peace. And so at the beginning of the story of Gideon, or right before the story of Gideon, the same thing has happened, as the people have fallen uh, and they've basically, as they always do, they've fallen into idol worship. It says, and they de- the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they basically end up, and what that is is idol worship, is they put things above God that shouldn't be above God. That God should be first in our lives, but he's not. And that should probably sound familiar to us because we do the same thing. We put things in front of our relationship with God. But by and large, I'm going to give us the benefit of that. By and large, we don't do that in one conscious decision. We don't say, you know what? I'm going to put my relationship with my boyfriend and my girlfriend ahead of my relationship with God. I'm going to make that decision today. Or we don't say, you know what? I'm going to make making money more important than my relationship with God, or I'm going to make my business more important, or this sports thing I'm into. We don't make a conscious decision. What happens is we make a small decision a hundred times in a row, and over time, things become more important than our relationship with God. And so that's what happens with the Israelites, is it, they, said they uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God has this group of people called the Midianites come and they conquer the Israelites. And and as they conquer the Israelites, one of the things that they do that's a little bit different than other things that have happened previously in the book of Judges is they try and starve them as well. They they overtake them but then they also cut off their food supply and their livestock and that type of thing. Uh, and so then they cry out to the Lord as happens in the cycle. And so here's how we're going to remember um, this okay so this is instead of choosing like Baal or asher this is on the prologue side yes so can you guys see that at least well enough there we go so that's uh 500 benjamins in case you're in the back there we go there is a security guard watching this so don't come steal that um but you know that and i just use this is this is one of the idols of our lives it's it's money and so i use this to, to kind of represent the first uh the prologue here but god who is a god of forgiveness responds. So scene one, the call. We're going to represent the call of Gideon with a megaphone, okay? 
And my hope is that these props will help you to kind of see the whole thing together. So this is from, and uh, I think on the screen, and on, uh, if you're watching online, it's, it should be titled down there, uh, but Judges chapter 6, 11 to 24. So here's what happens. An angel of the Lord appears to Gideon to give him his call, but Gideon is hiding, essentially. So he's, uh, he's thrashing wheat, which basically means you take wheat in the husk and you throw it up in the air and you let the wind blow the chafe away and then the, the seed, the grain, falls to the ground. But he, as, the, as the angel comes to Gideon, he's in a wine press. Now, a wine press was basically either built into the ground or these large walls where you would press the wine, the grapes, and it was all enclosed, right? And so it's a terrible place to toss things up because the wind doesn't really blow underground or in this big vat. But he had to do it there, or he was doing it there essentially out of fear because the Midianites would see him kind of clearing the wheat, separating the wheat from the chaff, and they would come and they would take that away. And so the angel comes to him, and the angel says to him, mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon doesn't really feel like a mighty man of valor. Here he is sort of hiding in this wine press, threshing the wheat. And he says to the angel, he says, and he doesn't say this exact words, but I think you got the wrong guy. He goes, who am I? He goes, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh, which everybody knows that's the weakest tribe. And I'm from the clan within Manasseh, which everybody knows that's the weakest clan. And in my family, I'm the weakest, like I'm the runt of the litter. I'm not your guy. And then God says to him these five words, which are beautiful. He says, I will be with you. He says, you may not feel like you got the stuff. You may not feel like you can be the person that God wants you to be. But God says, I will be with you. And I think for us, sometimes we don't always feel adequate. God calls us to do things. God says, step up and do this. And we don't feel adequate. But God's response to us is, I will be with you. What God calls us to, he will be with us in. Scene two, under the cover of darkness. So the first thing that the the Lord says to Gideon, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take two bulls, okay? And I want you to take them to your father's house, right? And his father's name is Joash. And his father was a worshiper of Baal. He had set up this idol to Baal and this thing called an Asherah pole, which was basically how they worshiped the god Asherah. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this bull, take, you have two bulls, take one of them, and I want you to tie the bull to this Baal idol, right? And I want you to have the bull yank it down. And then I want you to take the Asherah pole made out of wood, and I want you to cut it up into kindling and bigger pieces, and then I want you to Take the other bull, and I want you to offer it as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. That's what he tells them to do. What do you think that Gideon does? Does he do it? Does he shrink away? Does he get some friends to help? Well, the title of this scene kind of gives away, Under the Cover of Darkness. So we're going to represent that with this light, this flashlight here, right? It even blinks, but... His didn't blink. There we go. Oh, still blinking. Okay, there we go. Flashlight. So under the cover of darkness. So here's what he does. 
he goes and he does it, but he, he's, a, he's fearful. He doesn't want to do it kind of in public and out in the open for fear of the Midianites, probably for fear of his dad and all these people who are like, what's going on here? So he goes under the cover of darkness. He takes the uh, Baal idol. He rips it down. He takes the Asher idol. He cuts that down, cuts the pole down, burns and makes a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. And then the people hear about it, and they begin to confront him about this. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You're going to upset. You're going to offend Baal. And then Gideon begins to get a little bit of courage. And he says, you know what? If Baal is such a big deal, let Baal deal with me. Like, let Baal take care of himself. And Gideon knows that Baal is not real. They have set up this false idol. He goes, bring it on, Baal. I got nothing to hide because there is no Baal. He knows it's a false god. So he's building his courage. Scene three, the fleece. This is the story from Gideon that is probably most popular. And so I'm representing this by a fleece blanket. Okay? And here's what happens with the fleece blanket. So God has continued to move on Gideon and saying, hey, it's time you're going to overthrow the Midianites. And so Gideon is not so sure about this. And so he asks God for a sign. He says, okay, here's, here's what I need from you, God, to make sure that this is really you talking and not coincidence and I'm not hearing voices making this up on my own. Then I'm going to put this fleece outside. And I'm going to put it outside overnight. And when I come out the next morning, if there's dew, if the, if the fleece is wet, but the ground around it is dry, I mean, that'd be kind of a miracle. So why don't you do that? wet fleece, dry ground, and then I will know that it's you. And so he does that. Comes back, come out the next morning, and sure enough, the fleece is wet, or which way? The fleece is dry. No, the fleece is wet, and the ground is dry. And so Gideon goes, you know what? That could have been a coincidence. Let's switch it around. Tomorrow night, I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. He, he switches it. Sure enough, he comes out the next morning, and that's the way it is. Now, you have maybe have heard that story, and it's even kind of an expression like, I'm going to put out a fleece. I'm going to see what God says. You know, and we kind of do it like, okay, if the next car that comes around the corner is red, I'm going to ask the girl out on a date, right? That's the kind of thing that we do. And, and we look at this, and part of it is like, man, he had great faith. But in fact, this is a story of not great faith. It's really the story of the patience of God. Because God has already called Gideon to free the Israelites from the Midianites. And he's already given him his assurance. He gave him those five, wor five words. I will be with you. But yet he puts this out. And so God shows great patience as Gideon is learning to trust in the Lord. Scene four, thinning the army. We're going to represent this one with a dog bowl, right? This is my dog's bowl. She's home drinking out of the toilet, but she'll be okay for a while, okay? There we go. So we can set that up. Okay. So, and you'll see why, uh, why it's the dog bowl in just a moment. So the Midianites have 145,000 troops, and the Israelites only have 32,000 troops. And so it's quite a disadvantage to them. But God wants to make sure that all the Israelites know that the credit goes to God and not to Gideon and not to their strength and not to anything else. And he says, you know what? 32,000 against 145,000, those odds are too good. 
We need to make the odds harder. So he says, here's the deal. If any of you are afraid, if any of you are fearful, you all can go home. Like, I'd be in that group. I'd be like, I'm out of here. 145,000 against 32,000, I'm out. And a lot of folks took him up on that. And so 22,000 people clear out. So now there's just 10,000. And at this point, I'm sure Gideon's like, I don't like these odds, but all right, let's go. And God says, it's not time to go yet. He says, still too many people in your army. So he says, I want you to send everybody down to the big stream down there and have them all get a drink, right? So Gideon's like, all right, sounds weird, but I'll do it. So everybody goes down, all 10,000 men. 9,700 of them got down in to the creek and they began to drink just kind of like drinking down to straight out of, the, out of the creek. But 300 of the men did it differently. They went down to the creek, they knelt and they put water in their hands and then they brought the water to their mouth and they lapped it out of their hands like a dog would do, right? And so God says to Gideon, those 300 men who lapped it out of their hands like a dog Keep those guys, send the other 9,700 people, I want you to send them home. And now God's like, this is the size of the army that I want. Scene five, the battle. Now, before the battle, Gideon is still a little scared. He's still fearful. And so he goes down and he kind of eavesdrops on the camp and what's going on in the Midianite camp. And he overhears a story, a guy goes, I had this really weird dream. I had this dream that there was a cake of barley, like a big cake of barley, and it came rolling through the camp and it destroyed all of us. And his buddy's like, dude, that's weird. He goes, yeah, that is weird. What'd you have for dinner last night? Mexican? They didn't say that. It's not in the story, but you can fact check me on that. But it's like, okay, that's a weird dream. And he goes, you know what that means? The barley roll that came down to destroy us, that's Gideon. I've heard about him. God is with him, and I think we're in trouble. That's a dream that a Midianite has. So Gideon hears that, and he goes, okay, I think that God is really with us. It was another confirmation. So then Gideon gathers the army, and he tells him, he says, I want you to take a jar, a torch, and a trumpet, okay? So we have this. We have a jar... We have a torch, a.k.a. a candle, and we have a trumpet, right? And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want every man to have that. So this is so awesome. So these 300 guys against 145,000, God says, here's what you're going to do, is you're going to circle around the camp. And at the right time, when the guards are changing, right, so the guards watching the camp, when there are one, some come going in, some going out, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the glass, I want you to break the glass, set stuff on fire, and blow the trumpet. Basically, he's saying, I want you to create absolute chaos. And so they do this. The trumpet goes, the glass breaks, the fire starts, the torches, and it's just mayhem around the camp. And because the guards are changing, they can't tell who's an Israelite and who's a Midianite. They think people are coming at them. And they begin to fight among themselves. So they're fighting and they're fighting, and the Israelites are just standing back watching in awe of God's strategy of how the Midianites would be defeated. Towards the end of this, they call in a group of people called the Ephraimites. These are also a, a tribe in Israel, uh, and two of the kings are killed, and then some of the kings flee, 
uh, on foot. And so that's how the battle is won. Scene six, conflict within. Now you have the Ephraimites. And they were taking part in the very, very end of this battle, kind of the fleeing and the killing of these two kings. But they were upset with Gideon. It says that they accused him fiercely. They said, why didn't you call us to be a part of this battle? We wanted to be a part of this battle, and they were upset with him. And so Gideon decides, you know what? Instead of kind of telling them about what God did and how this is God's plan and, and it's all about God, I just need to make some peace with these guys. So he basically uses flattery. He says, you know what? We're just little tribe of Manasseh. I'm just a little dude from the littlest clan, from the weakest family, the weakest guy, the run of the litter. But you all are the big Ephraimites. Man, you guys are awesome. Like, you guys leave more on the vine than we could even harvest in a year. And he basically flatters them. And that takes care of the problem. And so we're going to represent that with peace symbols. He's a peacemaker, okay? Because, man, we just got to make peace here, whatever the cost. I don't want these guys to be mad at me. Scene seven, the chase. We're going to represent the chase with, anybody know who this is? Preschool parents here today? Paw Patrol, there we go. This is Chase from Paw Patrol. Uh, And so we're going to represent scene seven with Chase from Paw Patrol because a chase takes place. So here's what happens. Gideon sets off after the Midian army. He sets off. He's in full pursuit, driving them out of the land that God has said this land is for the Israelites. He's driving them out. And he comes across two groups of people in these towns, a group of people from a town called Succoth and a group of people from a town named Penuel. And he, he reaches them, and, they, and they've been pursuing the Midianites for a while. And he stops at both of these towns, and he says, I need you to help me. We are hungry. I need you to feed our troops. Give us water. Help us on our way as we go and pursue the Midianites. <clears throat> but the people of these two towns are like, you know what? We're not really sure that you're going to win the battle. Like, there's still a whole lot of them, and there's only a few hundred of you. And so we're not sure that you're going to win the battle. So we're not making up our mind to help you because if we help you and then you lose, they're going to come back and they're going to kill us. So we're just going to kind of remain Switzerland here. We're going to be neutral at this point. So Gideon gets all fired up. He says, look, if you don't help me, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to thrash you. Like you will be sorry that you didn't help us. And they're like, We're not helping. We're neutral. We're Switzerland. We'll see how it goes. And then whoever wins, we'll jump on that person's side. So Gideon continues on, chases the Midianites, destroys them, kills the kings, the leaders, the rest of them flee out of the country. And then he comes back to Succoth, and he comes back to Penuel. And he goes to the leaders of Succoth, and he tortures them right? He takes their boots off, their feet, their sandals off, and he takes these briars, and he just whips the tar out of the bottom of their feet, just tortures them mercilessly. And then he takes this tower that's kind of represented in Penuel, and he cuts that down. He finds out who are the leaders of this group, and he kills them. And then he goes on his way. That's scene seven. 
Scene eight, or the epilogue. So remember that there's a cycle, and we've talked about this week after week. There's a cycle, and so he, he gets rid of the, the Midianites, and this time around, the cycle is a little bit different, but a little bit worse. So all the people come to Gideon, and they're like, that was awesome, great battle, you're a phenomenal leader. We think that you should be our king. And Gideon's like, nope, I'm not going to be your king. But here's what you could do. I want all of you to take the gold earrings that you have and bring them to me. As many gold earrings as you have, bring them to me. The ones that you've taken in the plunder and the spoil that we've taken from these people, bring them to me. So they bring him 43 pounds of gold, and they lay it all in this blanket. And then Gideon takes this, and he forms what's called an ephod, E-P-H-O-D, an ephod. And basically what it is, is it's a breastplate. It's kind of like, a, sort of like an apron, sort of like a breastplate armor kind of thing. And he just forms this huge thing. And then he says, let's worship this ephod that I have just made out of gold. And you think about that. Like, this is the guy who has just trusted God incredibly to win this battle in this really weird, unusual way, thinning out the army. He says, let's worship this breastplate. Let's worship this ephod. And so he begins to worship it, and his family begins to worship, and all of Israel begins to worship this. And then on top of that, Gideon begins to take wife after wife after wife, as well as a concubine or basically a mistress. And then Gideon dies. And Israel falls back into full worship of idols instead of worshiping the Lord. So in the prelude, I represented idol worship by these $100 bills. In the, pre- in the epilogue, I want to do it a little bit differently. And really, an idol is anything that takes the place, that takes number one in our lives, that we put ahead of God. And so I brought a picture of what you are likely to put in front of God, okay? So here's the picture, right? Do you see that? Right? That Look closely. That's a picture of what you are most likely to put in front. Can you see that on the line there? There you go, right? It's a mirror. That This is who we are most likely to put in front of God, is we're most likely to put ourselves. And as we think about that, the question is, what takes first place in our lives? And to consider that. Now, that's the life of Gideon from 3,000, from 30,000 feet. And the question is, what do we learn about Gideon from the beginning of his life to the end. What things kind of go through that. And so I want to share with you three things. And these three things, peace is done. Um, These three things, you can see that, and we're going to talk through this just briefly again, but you see these three things in the rise of Gideon to greatness with God, and you see the lack of them in his quick demise, in his quick fleeting out, okay? Here's the first thing. He has humility. In the beginning, he has this incredible humility. He says, who am I 
that you would choose me. I'm the least, the least, the least. You know, who am I? And he almost has this, he has this kind of fear that's not really a bad thing entirely. Like, I'm not so sure about this. Like, he's down in the wine press. He does the first thing under the cover of darkness. He has this kind of like humility to him. Like, I'm not so sure about this. I need to kind of figure out where God is and all this kind of thing. And I love kind of his heart there. Here's the second thing, is he spoke the truth. And that scene under the cover of darkness, and then they come and they're like, what is going on? And he goes, let Baal contend for himself. Right? He's just speaking the truth out. Incredible boldness in that, of speaking and living by the truth. And then the third is this, is he trusted in God with an incredible amount of courage. He trusted in God with this incredible amount of courage. You know, he sets the, the fleece out and he's like, okay, God is going to come through and one's going to be dry, one's going to be wet. He has this crazy thinning of the army where he's like, okay, we're going to take him from 32,000 down to 300. And he also has this battle that he's won where it's clearly the Lord. All of that is trusting in God. And so when he's at that point, he's doing great things for God. He's liberating Israel from this oppression of the Midianites. But then on his way down, we see these same things leave him. Okay, we talk about keeping the peace, right? He goes and he speaks to the Ephraimites, and they're like, why didn't you include us? And he just tries to make peace. He could have spoken the truth. He could have said, well, I didn't include you because God called me. And God wanted to do it this way to give glory and honor to God and not to my tribe and not to your tribe. But he shrinks back from sharing that truth because he just wants to keep the peace at all costs. Then he goes in and he he chases after them and the people from Penuel and the people from Succoth and they don't help him and he comes back and he basically he kills some and he tortures others. He at that point completely lost his humility. At that point, it was all about him. It was all about his glory, and I have to be in charge, and you have to honor me. And in that section, I think it's about 12 or 15 verses, God is only mentioned one time in that entire section that he said it's no longer about God. It's about me, and he gets revenge because he wants that respect from the people. And then the last thing, when he builds this effort, he creates this ephod thing, And it's this idea, it's like, it's about, not about God, it's about worshiping somebody else. And that breastplate in some ways represented him, and and I made this breastplate. But he trusts in something else other than the Lord. And so I share those three things with you. So we ask the question, how do we get to the point where we do great things for God? It's about speaking the truth. It's about humility. And it's about trusting in God and having courage with him. And so my question for you this morning is this. Are you on the way up or are you on the way down? Are you growing in your trust of God? Are you growing in humility? Are you growing in speaking the truth and living by the truth? Or is it on the way down? And and the truth of the matter is this, is I think that it's not as much about where you are, it's more about the direction you're going. You know, a, a, even as you, as you look at him, I think that when he was in the darkness and, and kind of 
pulling down this, this um, idol to Baal. When he was doing that in the darkness, like he, was, he hadn't really reached the pinnacle of his faith, but he was moving in the right direction. He was acting on the faith that he had. And I think that God was more pleased with him then than when he was on the chase after the Midianites because when he was chasing the Midianites, he was already on the way back down. And it's not so much where are you, but what direction are you heading with your faith? And I just ask you to consider that this morning. What direction are you heading with your faith? Do you have humility? Do you speak the truth? And do you have courage in trusting in God and the things that he calls you to? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you um, for the story of Gideon. And uh, Lord, I do pray that we would learn from his life uh, and both the ups and the downs, that we would have the faith like him, but at the same time that we would learn from his negative example of when he lacked faith, of when he went in the wrong direction. Because God, we want to do great things for you. You have called us to do things. And we want to do what you ask us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.